couple announcements as we get started. First, uh, Tony Pino would like to express his, his uh, excitement. His oldest son, Anthony, and his wife are expecting a baby, so we're, we're excited for, for them. Um, that's that's uh, really cool. Uh, I also mentioned last week that we um, have a consideration to put uh, to use chairs in our auditorium instead of our pews. And if you'd like to have some feedback on that, you're welcome to come and talk with uh, Lars and I in my office right after service or just down the hall to the left and to the left. We'd love to have, have your feedback and, and thoughts um, on that. We're concluding our series this morning called The Weight of Words, where we're just thinking about the fact that um, no matter who you are, you might think that you're somebody with a lot of significance or power. You might not think that you have much power or significance, but one thing you do have is your words, and your words weigh a lot. And we can think that we can just say whatever we want to say to people and it doesn't really matter and sticks and stones break my bones, which is like the, like the most untrue thing ever because it's not true. The things that people say to us, the things that are said over us, they, they matter a lot. And we have to be careful about how uh, we use our words. And we've continued to, to think about this theme um, consistently uh, throughout this series. And as I've said, there's been times as I've been doing this that I've thought I haven't really done this perfectly. Uh, and even it's not just the things that you say, but sometimes the things that people say you say uh, that's hard to, like, it's a little bit messed up in communication, perhaps. Uh, my son, Carter, has just started playing t-ball, and so I went to the, the, his second practice uh, with him, and I was introducing myself to the coach, and Carter says to the coach, my dad wants to help you coach. And it's like, <laughs> that is not how I said that. Like, I just want to be an assistant. I want to help out where I can. And it's like, the way he said it, I was like, please don't think I'm like one of those parents. I think I'm already in that label of, like, the people who the coach is a little bit, little bit afraid of. Um, the words that we say, sometimes other people, I mean, it matters a lot. So a thing that I want to think about as we conclude this series is what would it look like for us to um, use our words in a, a more holy way? What might it look like for us to have our words shaped by the Word of God? What would it look like for us to understand exactly what it means to obey the Scriptures, to, to live that out? And I'm going to say something um, to start as we think about how to read the Bible well and understanding that. It's going to sound like blasphemy, so just uh, don't stone me right when I say this, okay? Um, but... Um, yeah, disclaimer. So you've got to be careful here. But um, what I want to say is we don't worship the Bible. Now, we worship the God behind the Bible. We worship the God that is revealed by Scripture. So that means we honor Scripture, we cherish Scripture, we let Scripture guide our lives. But we don't worship the Bible. We worship God. We worship Jesus. We worship the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence that we have of God in our lives and so the question that we should ask when it comes to understanding the, the words that are in Scripture and how they might come alive more in our lives is, does the, the, the way that I'm reading the Bible help me to look more like Jesus? Because ultimately, that would make us look more like God. What does it look like for us to read the Scriptures in such a way to understand that these words form us more into the way and life and ministry of Jesus? And a question that might help us before we even get there is how did Jesus read the Bible in his day? And, okay, we're not saying that Jesus had, like, the Bible on his phone that he could whip out. They didn't have the New Testament. Um, it would have been some portions of the Old Testament. Obviously, Jesus is, is very familiar uh, with these things. He's a student of the Scriptures. And oftentimes, people in the time of Jesus would come to him and say, okay, you're, you're a rabbi. And this was common. There were other people who claimed to be rabbis. There were others um, who, who would sometimes claim people thought they were going to be the Messiah that they had waited for forever. And so they would come and try to get this interpretation. Okay, what is it that you mean? How are you calling us to live? What does it look like for us to, to follow God? And so they're 
kind of constantly coming to Jesus and say, what does it look like to you? How do you interpret the law? And in one portion of Jesus' teaching, um, toward the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he starts this way, and he says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, uh, but to fulfill them. And you have to ask, why does Jesus have to say this? But one of the reasons why I think he has to say this is because he had some critics who would have said, he's not listening to the scriptures previously. He's not following um, what has come before. So if you ever had somebody tell you, like, you're not really listening to the Bible. Maybe you have company with Jesus. Because Jesus is like trying to say, like, I've not, I've not come to abolish these things, but actually, ultimately, to fulfill them. I'm going to embody what the Old Testament ha- has prophesied. I'm going to show you what it looks like, what God is calling us to. And maybe there's a time in your life when you have heard somebody who taught the Word of God to you in such a way that you'd never heard it before. Like it was just, you, maybe it was a time that you just were really passionate about your faith and you had been maybe a Christian for a while, but you didn't necessarily understand exactly the calling that it had on your life. And then someone was able to teach it to you and it just like set a fire in your heart. And the way that person communicated the scriptures, it just profoundly changed your life. In some way, that person was able to help you understand exactly like who Jesus was and what that means for all of us. And Jesus, in, in very real way here, saying, I, I've come to, to, like, live out this. I want to show you that this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to embody the thing that I'm calling you to. And then he continues, and he says, for truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to um, gasp at the beginning of that statement because it really would have been shocking. Um, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, yeah, there we go. Thank you, Sonia. Um, it, it should be it should be completely shocking because um, for for the people who would have heard this for the first time, that would have been a shocking thing because. As you read the New Testament, it's easy for the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law to get a bad rap because they're constantly trying to like, come to Jesus and accuse Jesus, and ultimately the leaders have a hand in killing Jesus. But it's partly because they're trying to live out who they think God has called them to be. It's easy to think of them all as kind of these negative people who are always conspiring against who Jesus is and what Jesus is, is trying to do. But in fact, like if you think of a Pharisee, maybe it's an elder or a preacher, a church leader, someone who, who you would think is really trying to follow God's call with their life. And so for Jesus to say to this group of people, those really, really, really religious people, you're going to have to be better at following this stuff than them. And that would have been pretty shocking for the crowd to hear. Because the Pharisees, they didn't just take like a little bit of the law. They like took a whole bunch more and made sure they were following it. So for them to hear that, they would have thought, that's crazy. He's calling us to an unbelievable, possibly even unattainable standard. But what Jesus is ultimately calling them to and then calling us us to is not a, a, a higher form of righteousness as a Pharisee would understand it, but a different sort of righteousness. The righteousness that truly comes from the heart, from the inside out. 
There are other portions of Scripture that I think we, we see this. Um, in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, uh, Scripture tells us, hearing that, Jesus, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There are over 600 laws in the Old Testament. And so this leader comes and says, which one is the greatest? Tell me, what is it that I'm supposed to do? How am I supposed to follow this? And what's really shocking, I think, about how Jesus says this is that it's like Pringles. You can't pick just one. Like, he can't just say one. They want to say, okay, what is the most important? How do you read this? And Jesus says, I can't just say one thing. Because in the the way that I'm calling people to live, it can't just be one or the other. You can't just follow God and worship God and not then think, okay, how does this impact other people? What does this look like as I try to love my neighbor? And this is where I think Jesus very much differs from the Pharisees because the Pharisees, they had it down. They understood how to follow the law. They practiced and practiced and practiced, but that was often to the exclusion of their neighbor. Because the way that they ate meant they couldn't eat at certain people's houses. The way that they loved meant they, certain, they couldn't love certain kinds of people. And so Jesus says, you can't just do this thing. I mean, Christianity would be so much easier if you didn't have to love people, right? If you could just go to a mountaintop and just like meditate on God and who God is, that'd be pretty cool. But Jesus says you have to have the other element of it too. That it's about centering yourself on the love of God, like learning what the love of God means, and then turning it to other people, loving other people as well. And so when they're asked this, what is revolutionary is he's asked for one, and Jesus says, I can't pick just one. Because it's both. This truly is who we are called to be. And there are portions of this in the scriptures as Jesus interacts with religious leaders consistently. They're asking him questions. Uh, Matthew 9, verses 11 through 13, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible that the tax collectors have their own category. Um, On hearing this, uh, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. And he says this to a crowd of people. The religious leaders at that time would have had large portions of the Old Testament memorized because it wasn't as available to them, so they would have had large portions memorized. And Jesus says, yeah, you know that verse, but you should learn what it means. This is the, before the time of rap battles, which is unfortunate, because that would be like everybody would drop the mic and run out of the room. Like that is that moment when it's like, oh, I, I can't believe he just said that. It's like when someone talks about someone's mom. Like, you just don't do that. I mean, he says to this people who would have had large portions of Scripture memorized, you need to learn what this means. Go and spend some time. Yeah, you might have it like memorized from back to front, but do you actually love your neighbors. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And y'all, you're really good religious leaders. You're good at sacrificing and doing the right things. But what you need to do is there's some mercy that needs to be sprinkled in there as well. 
that loving God calls you to be merciful to the people who are around you. It isn't just a vertical thing, and it isn't just a horizontal thing. In fact, it's all of it. Love God and love people. So when you think about the question, how does Jesus read his Bible? And again, it's not as we would think of it today, but how does Jesus read his Bible? You would want to just be able to answer it by saying, love God and love neighbors. And sometimes I think we can read the Bible in the wrong ways, not understanding that this is what Jesus is trying to get us to do. And ultimately, this is what the Bible is about. By loving more people, showing people the the love of God because of who God has been to us. And if you think about that statement that we don't worship the Bible and it's a little bit scary, just understand that for the first 400 years of Christian history, they didn't have the Bible that we did, that we do. And really, up until very recently, up until really just about the last 100, 150 years, has the Bible been so widely available to people. Generally, there would be just some person like me who was a a paid priest who would just stand up and say to everybody, like, this is what the Bible says. That would be pretty nice if I could just tell you that. (laughs) But now you get to fact check me, which is awesome. It kind of levels the playing field a little bit. But for the first 1,800 years of Christian history, most Christians didn't have the Bible. It's one reason why Christian artwork was so important, because it was a way, especially while you're getting bored in church while it was in Latin, um, that they could like look at pictures and artwork on the wall to be able to see the, the stories of Scripture. So we worship the God behind the Scripture, and, and Jesus tells us that the way to properly worship the fulfillment of the law is love of God and love of neighbor. There's an article in New York Times magazine several years ago about a man named John Aldridge, uh, who was a fisherman. He was fishing on a lobster boat 40 miles off Long Island. He and his buddy were were fishing overnight, and it was about 2 a.m., and his friend was asleep. And he went back to get a, a drink out of the cooler, and as he was going to get it, he slipped and fell out of the boat. And so he begins to realize he's in some trouble because his friend is asleep, The boat starts to drift away. There's not an easy way for him to get back on it. And he starts to have the thought, this is how I'm going to die. And he ended up coming up with a solution. He had these two boots, these neon green boots that everybody made fun of that he would often wear. And he found that those boots were buoyant. So he clung to those until he was rescued early in the morning. I think that story helps us a bit as we think about what it is to understand the scriptures. We have two boots under our arms, love of God and love of neighbor. And as we understand the Bible and start to think through parts that can sometimes be complex, sometimes be confusing, Jesus gives us these two boots as we think about wading through the mystery sometimes that is in Scripture, love of God and love of neighbor. To read the Bible as Jesus does is to read it with real people in mind. To read it not thinking about issues or not thinking about things that are going on, but as real people. Because the main way, I would argue, that the religious leaders missed Jesus is they were too focused on reading their Bibles. They were never able to look Jesus in the eye. 
And again, I want to say, like, th- that doesn't mean that our scriptures don't matter. They deeply do. They're important. They help guide our lives. They help us as we consider how to move forward in our lives. But we need to ask the questions, what does love require of me in this situation? What does it look like for me to approach the, this person or this situation with love? And that doesn't mean that it's all going to be just like roses all the time and going to be us all crying and singing kumbaya together. Because sometimes love requires hard things. For example, in uh, Mark, Jesus has a conversation. He's asked a similar question about what it means to follow him. And Jesus mentioned um, some laws. And then in Mark 10, verses 20 and 21, uh, this rich ruler says, um, Teacher, all these, kept, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And I, th- this phrase is just beautiful. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That is a wonderful passage. But because of his love for him, he says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And the scripture goes on to say he was very sad because he had great wealth. And he goes home, and he sits on his leather couch, and he misses the whole thing. It doesn't actually tell you that, but that's what I like to think of. I think that is so interesting. Jesus looked at him and loved him, yet he then pokes at the one thing that this guy doesn't want to have poked. He says, okay, like I love you, I, I look at you, and I love you, one thing you lack, and this guy's probably expecting, all right, what, like, which, which place do I need to go? Like, what, what sacrifice do I need to make? I'm pretty close. Like, I'm pretty close to getting this thing down. I've done all this stuff. And Jesus says, no, it's not a little thing. It's your idol. And I find that so compelling that it tells us that he, he looks at him and loves him. And yet, this is what he does. Again, to think about that question, what does love require? It doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. In fact, sometimes it's going to be hard for us to figure out and, and to love people is difficult at times. But when we read the Bible like Jesus, we can't just have a relationship with God. It's about us also asking the question, what does it look like for me to love other people? What does it look like for me to love this person who is right in front of me? And when we read the Bible like Jesus, we can't just turn this thing into a whole new list of commands. There's a great parable that's told by uh, Peter Rollins. Uh, he, he says that... Um, He likes to imagine that there's this community that forms around the teachings of Jesus. And uh, this this community is still around as as Jesus is there. And the thing that they're really passionate about in this community is the teaching that Jesus gives uh, in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if uh, an official tells you to walk with him one mile, I say go two, which we get the phrase go the extra mile with somebody. So if, if you are told by some Roman official because you're in Roman occupation, if you go one mile, then, then go two. And this community, they took that so seriously, and they're so proud of themselves. They just call themselves the two-milers. Like, they're super excited about that, and they're very, very proud of it. And so then Jesus comes and meets them, and they're like, 
we're following you, man. We're doing it. Like whenever one of the Roman officials asks us to go one mile, we proudly go two. That's exactly because that's what you've called us to do. And Jesus stops them in, in their joy. And he says, well, you need to start going three. Because oftentimes what religious people can do is just create a new law. And it isn't about, okay, you need to go one extra mile. It's that even if someone is is hurting you, someone is oppressing you, you can show them love. You can go on the way. Because oftentimes people who are religious can be really good at just like setting the line down just a little bit further, arriving at a new number. But Jesus is always going to be calling us to live with transformative love. And it's always going to take you just a little bit farther. But ultimately, this is the way that I think life is best lived. Because eventually, the path of love leads Jesus to a cross. And eventually, the path of love will will cost us a lot at different times in all of our lives. But when Jesus reads the Bible and understands the scripture the way he does, he's motivated and dies for everyone. What would it look like for you to understand the words of scripture more like Jesus? As we close this series thinking about the weight of words, what would it look like for you to understand the words of Scripture as living and active and as important and that they would be a foundation for you? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells a story that is a very popular song about the wise and foolish man. And we have the hand motions for it. Charlie's already doing the hand motions. Yeah, you, the wise man built his house upon a rock. What would it look like for you to build off a foundation like that? to understand the words of Scripture in such a way that that you would build a foundation that aren't just like your own words or your own thoughts or whatever you're feeling in a given moment, but things that connect you with a larger Christian story. I was always kind of interested in in religion, probably more than the average person as a kid. And so I wrote some letters to to my grandmother uh, when I was a child. And in high school, I wrote her this letter, and I have this letter in my Bible that is um, dated uh, September uh, 2000. And in this letter, I had written her and asked her what some of her favorite Bible verses were. And these are, this letter is something that I go to often, and I read some of her favorite scriptures, and I turn to them. And even though she passed away several years ago, it's like she's able to communicate with me in a season of life that I need it. What would it look like for you to build a foundation off passages of Scripture that help you to love your, love your God and love your neighbor? Philip's going to start uh, playing our, our closing song, talking about uh, the altar of, of our lives. Ultimately, the way that Jesus reads the words of Scripture causes him to consistently ask the question, what does it look like to love God and love neighbor? A question that was asked of, of me uh, recently, and I'd ask you the, the same thing. Um, the, 
at the retreat that I was just on, the, the guy who was running it said that he um, oftentimes in his family, he focuses, he and his, his wife have focused on like the 10 most important verses that they want to pass on to their kids. And maybe for you, you don't have kids yet and, you, and you're single. Actually, as I've started to think about this myself, I've thought about like, it really tells you what you think God is like. As you think about like the things that are most important to you. So whether you have kids or, or not, I'd just like you to ask the question of yourself this week, what are the, the 10 most important verses that I would want somebody to know that knows me? 10 verses that like impact you, that help you understand the love of God and ultimately help you to be like Jesus, to love your God and to love your neighbor better. So as we walk away from this series, and I hope that you will consider the fact that your words weigh a lot consistently because they do, I hope that you'll think about how you can connect your life to the words of Scripture and allow the words that God teaches us, the words that are important in Scripture, help us to understand that the the Bible can still be a foundation and guide for all of our lives. It's changed people for generations and continues to change people. Help us to understand that reading our Bible like Jesus is to love God and love neighbor. What would it look like for you to be able to show your neighbors and your friends what Jesus is like? Let's pray. God, we we are thankful for the words of Scripture. And we're thankful for, for people who've gone before us who are an example for us, who are cheering us on as we live out our faith. Help us to truly ask the question, what are some verses that I want to live from? And maybe that's to bless our kids with, or maybe it's just to bless coworkers and neighbors. Father, may we allow our words to come from a deeper foundation. May we ask the question, what does love require? And read our Bibles through that lens. Your son, Jesus, in my prayer. Amen. Let's stick together.